Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Barry Rosner with you until noon. So much to do today. So little time. Let's get right to it. Let's go out to the score hotline where we're joined by Orioles beat reporter Rock Kabodko. He covers Baltimore for Masson Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Masson Rock. Good morning, Rock. How you doing? Good. How you guys doing? Uh, we're great. Um, I, uh, as a former beat guy, I can only imagine what this has been like. I'm sure you look forward to this being over. The Manny Machado saga, which has uh, dragged on for so long. Uh, you, I'm sure you have to talk about it every single day. Where are we right now? Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the hot stove season, you know, with the winter meetings where there you get conflicting reports and on all these rumors. You're trying to separate fact from fiction. I know for sure that Mandy is still here. That they haven't posted <laughs> the lineup yet. I don't think he's been traded. Or I would have heard, but you know, there there are teams you know, actively engage in discussions with the Orioles. I don't know about the perception that was out there. And again, it's conflicting reports. I see one thing where it says that they're, they've been dragging their feet and they're, they're deemed as being just too deliberate and not motivated. And then a couple hours later, somebody else tweets that they're focused and, and driven and uh, some executives are impressed by the way the Orioles are handling this and they seem like they're really making progress. And it's like, well, which is it, guys? But, you know, the, the, the Dodgers are still in this thing. The Phillies, for sure, look like they had backed out, but they, they have been intensifying talks. The Brewers, who kind of came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden they may be in the top two. The Diamondbacks, you know, with a thin farm system, at one time I was told they were, like, right behind the Dodgers, 1-2, in the interest in the offers, and yet they seem to have now suddenly dropped back. Uh, you know, it's just kind of that cluster. The Braves, I don't think, are as interested as had been reported because they don't want to give up any of their prospects, and the Orioles are really trying to get them engaged because they like their system so much. Uh, the, the Indians, initially, I was told, made an offer, but it wasn't substantial, and there just wasn't much there, and now it seems like they're still kind of hanging around. So I, I expect Manny to be traded, and it honestly could be at any time. I don't think now it'll be before the All-Star game, but I certainly expect it to happen before the 31st. Do you think there's any fear on the Orioles' part that we are going to go have him play in this exhibition game and he could break his leg there, and then uh, and then we further mess up what we've messed up from the start here? Uh, you know my feeling, Rock, because we talked about it earlier. I thought it should have been done last winter. But going back to that, you said that there really wasn't a lot happening then. No, there wasn't. And plus they also were, under the, the mindset that, were in the mindset that they were going for it still. So they were listening to offers for Manny. I was told multiple times they were not actively shopping them. The teams were coming to them. And, of course, you're always going to listen. That's why I love when somebody makes a selling breaking news and they say the Orioles are listening in on somebody or listening on or whatever. Well, you always listen. You don't plug your ears. You don't just connect the phone. I mean, you, you do listen. Yes. But, they, but it would, they would have to have been overwhelmed by an offer, which they definitely weren't the meetings at all. No one came close. 
and they thought this window's closing. We're going to add pitching, which they did with Cobb and Tashner. They still had that core together one last time. They were going for it. Of course, now it hasn't worked out. Uh, so, but you know, now obviously they're they're motivated to move Manny, and it is a risk. Believe me, not just the All Star game. Every game he plays, you hear people in this organization saying you cringe every time. You know, a couple times he swung and missed at a pitch and slipped and gone down to one knee in the batter's box, which is how he injured one of those two surgically repaired knees. I've seen him make some awkward move plays at second base, covering the bag, and you kind of hold your breath like this would be this organization's luck that Manny would end up going down with an injury. So they are concerned about it. When Buck gets the opportunity to take him out early, he has done it. The um, the perception around the game is that the Orioles generally never get anything right or can't seem to get out of their own way. and So I don't know what kind of pressure's on them to get this done, but – is there going to be a big haul for Manny Machado here? Because you, you talk to people around the game and they say, look, even even though you may have four or five teams in this, the, you know, the the kind of haul that you could have got when he had a year left or two years left is certainly not what you're going to get when he's only got a couple months left. No, they're, they're counting on some team, and whether it's like the Dodgers to keep him from going to Arizona, Milwaukee, or somebody else, the Yankees, whatever, will step up late here and give them what they're looking for because they do want to go for it. Sometimes, you know, that does happen. It's happened with Chapman, with Andrew Miller. Once in a while, that guy can bring more of a return than you would expect as a rental. Yeah. But clearly they would have gotten more, let's say, if they'd done this two years ago. But whenever I hear that criticism, this was after they played in the wild card game in Toronto. They certainly weren't going to tear it down then. They thought that, hey, you know, we're still – you know, we're only maybe a couple players away from being able to go that next step. And, and as, as Buck always says, you, you just want to get to October and be able to roll the dice. So they still thought at that time they had a chance to get to a World Series. They weren't going to trade them after the wild card game, after they had made the playoffs. Uh, and again, they were a little more open to it last winter, but still thought, hey, we, we didn't get nearly what we were looking for anyway or what we would have accepted. And they still thought they were close enough they were a game out of the wild card going to September last year before the total collapse, and maybe that was fool's gold, but they thought that they were going to contend again this year, and they wanted to hold on to these pieces, and if it didn't work out, then they would go ahead and try and get the best deal they could, and they still think they can get a top-line young pitching prospect and other pieces, a replacement for Prochado. If it's the Dodgers, they'd look at Verdugo. They're looking at catching. But so far, the teams that are most engaged with them are not giving up those top prospects. Sixto Sanchez with the Phillies, uh, you know, May, and those guys with the Dodgers, Verdugo, as I said. Uh, you know, the Yankees aren't giving up. Uh, Sheffield, all those top guys the Orioles like, these teams aren't surrendering. So it is going to be tricky. Visiting with Rock Cabaco from Masson Sports in Baltimore. I, you know, it's, uh, wow, it sounds to me like, this could go down to the end. I mean, if they're going to try to – it's their job to do the best they can with this, and if it's not happening yet, then I suppose they try to push it all the way to the end and and hold somebody up. Do you think ultimately that's what occurs? Yeah, I mean, you know, you just it could happen at any time. It's so hard to predict for sure. Like anybody that says, oh, it's definitely going to be around this date or later, it's guesswork. Because all it takes is that one phone call. I know it's kind of cliche, but it takes yeah. that one phone call from one of these teams to say, okay – we will now include so-and-so, and the deal's done. And the Orioles aren't going to say, all right, we'll get back to you in three weeks. I mean, if they get the offer that they're looking for, they will pounce. But so far, they haven't. So it could happen 
tomorrow. It could happen, and I don't expect it to, but theoretically it could. It could happen a couple of days after the break while they're in Toronto, or it could come down to the 30th or 31st. It just depends on which team finally blinks and offers what they're looking for. I'm not going to ask you to predict because this is insanity. And I know you have to, you are bombarded with reports from the national guys who are, who are getting it wrong from minute to minute. And it's been happening for weeks already, actually months already going back to all the Cubs nonsense. Um, But what, what seems most logical to you? Is it, is it Andy McPhail, the former Baltimore exec who's in Philly with the Phillies certainly having that need is it the Brewers who have the need? Is it the Dodgers who have the need? I mean, those are kind of the three that make the most sense to me. Who has the best package probably to offer? Um, what what seems most logical to you? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely to me those three. And the problem with trying to handicap this thing, and it's always hard whenever somebody in the media says who's the favorite, because what are we basing these rankings on? I mean, is it the team that, like I said, making the most calls? that has the most prospects, because those guys have to be available. On paper, all three of these, Brewers, Dodgers, Phillies, are terrific fits, except if they don't give up the guys that you like. Like the Dodgers, there's like four or five guys that sounds like are off the table that the Orioles would want. So how are they still deemed the favorite just because they have those guys if they're not giving them up? But McPhail and the Phillies make a lot of sense. I mean, that whole front office is filled with former Orioles people, plus Rick Cranitz, the pitching coach, uh, Joe Jordan, I mean – they're loaded with them, Clentech and Ned Rice and Scott Proprox. But there was the, the thought that why give up players for a run toll when we could just open our checkbook in the offseason. They like Britain, too. And there was a poss- there's a possibility that maybe they could swing a deal with both of those guys, Machado and Britain. But I think now that the Phillies are kind of surprise contenders, that thought has changed, and I think they're probably feeling some pressure in their clubhouse and from their fan base to make a bold move. So I think the Phillies – really make perfect sense for a variety of reasons, but they still have to be willing to part. And even if it is at Sanchez, they have other really good young pitching prospects. The Orioles really like Kingry. I mean, they've got pieces if they're willing to surrender them. That, that would make them the favorite if they were. But again, if they're not willing to, then we can't sell anybody a favorite. Yeah, here's a, here's a tip for you. You can use this, uh, Rock, too. In, in 1995, when Andy McPhail was in Chicago in his first year with the Cubs, he had no intention of going for it that year, but they found themselves in June in the first year of the wild card in the wild card race and went from thinking rebuild to, well, we might as well just go for it. And ownership had a lot to do with that. And suddenly they pulled the trigger on some deals and tried to stay in it. They were actually in that race until uh, until Saturday of the last weekend of the season. So uh, maybe Andy's thinking the same way again. Um, as you point out, they – I'm sure they didn't expect to be winning their division on the day before the all-star break. And I wonder how much that changes their thinking. Yeah, I think it does. And, you know, the Orioles went through something very similar last year. I mean, you know, there was talk, are they going to be buyers or sellers at the deadline? Remember, nobody knew right up to the point where they traded for Tim Beckham. And it was like, oh, okay. So they're still buying because they looked at the standings. Now with this expanded playoffs with a second wild card, it's like, you know what, we still have a shot at this thing. So again, you want to just get into October and roll the dice. So they kind of did the exact same thing where, you know, they, they went through a stretch where all of a sudden they convinced themselves we're actually, we're contenders here and we're going to be buyers. And the Phillies with this kind of surprise first half and the Braves too, though they're not willing to give up the guys the Orioles won at all. But, the, you know, the, you're looking at the standings and say, you know what, we do have a shot at this thing. And, and 
maybe we should go ahead and make the bold move. And a, and a team like the Phillies, as deep as they are with pitching prospects, they really can't afford to give up a guy or two because they've got five more just like them in the system. Yeah. So that's why they really make sense to me. So of the Phillies, Brewers, and Dodgers, um, and of course the Dodgers are loaded. They're always loaded with prospects. But of those three, uh, um, and again, just just guessing here, who do you think has, is is most likely to be willing to give up those guys? Because the Dodgers, if you if you look at them historically, yeah, they'll move guys at the deadline, but they're not their best guys. Right. That's why I still think the Phillies are making a lot of sense. And the fact that talks seem to have picked up and they seem to be expressing more interest now than maybe earlier in the process, I think that if I had to say who's the favorite, if I had to do the, the rankings like college football, <laughs> right now I would probably put them – on top, but again, that could change quickly. The Dodgers decide, okay, you can have so and so, and I guess it won't be Bueller either. But any somebody that the Orioles really like, if they would put them in there in that deal, then that changes everything. I think it's just interesting. Interesting that the Brewers are kind of lurking because we didn't hear anything about them early on. Then all of a sudden, it was like, hey, how did Milwaukee get in this thing? And they have that history with Sabathia. Maybe it was that ten years ago, but they're, they both, you know, they could go ahead and be the surprise team. But I just think the Phillies make so much sense. Well, the Brewers were down 3 nothing in the eighth inning yesterday with the bases loaded and one out. In the second game of a doubleheader, they were about to get swept in, and Tyler Saladino was batting with the bases loaded and one out, and he, he popped out to left. And if you're wondering why they're in it, that's why, that's why they're in this thing right now. Um, but I don't know if they, if, they have, if they can compare to the Dodgers or the Phillies in terms of what they can give up. No, that, that's exactly. That's why... I think that they may be kind of like, if you were going to rank again, third in that group. But they've moved up because for a while they were farther back than that. And like I said, the Diamondbacks, I was told at one point by a very reliable source, were like right behind the Dodgers. You're not hearing much about them. This thing is so fluid as it goes along. And, of course, the longer you wait when you're the Orioles, the more chance you have of it can work both ways. You could have teams saying, hey, we are in this thing. But you could also have teams say, you know what? It really isn't worth it. You give them too much time to think about it. So either way, you, in that regard, you might want to go ahead and strike quickly before teams start talking themselves out of it. So the Orioles have brought back Brooks Robinson. Is he starting at third today? Uh, what exactly? <laughs> how exactly is, is he going to help the ball club? Yeah, see, to me it's like, well, if you trade Machado, you move Beckham to short, you put Brooks to third. It works. It's a great PR move of yeah. nothing else. Let's face it. And, hey, this team, the way they've been struggling to score runs, I mean, could Brooks be any worse at this point? <laughs> but, you know, but this, is, this is very, this is something that's long overdue. But they, they just want him, he's just being a, a special advisor. He was the first one to say, I'm not here to make baseball decisions. The game's passed me by. I'm not going to manage. I'm not going to play. But it's going to be helping to promote the team, which they could certainly use some help here in a season like this. It's going to be out in the community. He'll be out at Camden Yards. We'll probably see him at spring training. We're just happy that he's in good health. He's 81. He's had some scares, prostate cancer, and, uh, they found a, a, a growth on his pancreas. He had to have a, a complicated surgical procedure, and, and he looks like he's doing really well. But this is a guy who still bleeds orange and black and, you know, beloved, Mr. Oriole. So to bring him back in the fold here, back into the family, like I said, long overdue, and it's, it's a great move. That's nice for Orioles fans, that's for certain. In a difficult time, which is about to get much worse. Uh, Rock, hopefully for you, it gets much better soon. You get done with this. And you never have to write about this again. Uh, good luck over the coming hours and days, hopefully not weeks. Thanks. I do appreciate it. He's Rock Cabaco from Masson Sports in Baltimore. I, as, as a former beat guy, I feel for him. I mean, it's, you know, you can't turn your phone off. It's uh, 24 hours a day. 
you're absolutely getting hammered on Twitter by all the national guys who are are reporting something different every like six minutes. And of course, uh, to this point, it's all been wrong. Go figure. Uh, when we come back, uh, I have something uh, that Joe Madden said yesterday. I want to get into. We have uh, some White Sox stuff, including the Moncada injury from yesterday. Uh, Ronaldo Lopez, his performance yesterday. And something that Frank Thomas said that I found fascinating. We'll do that next. Bottom of the hour, it's Bruce Levine right here on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. That highlight courtesy of Fox Sports Ohio. It happens to all of us from time to time. So, Yoan Moncada got hit in the knee with a baseball yesterday while at second base on a pickoff throw. And the response I saw to it on uh, on social media was that, wow, is this guy soft? Wow, is this guy soft? It was like a, it was like a soccer dive. I don't know if you've ever been hit in the soft spot in your knee by anything. Took plenty of pucks there over the years. It doesn't even have to be hard. You get hit in the right spot in that soft area on the side of your knee, and you go down, and you th- you think you're dying. It, it doesn't even have to be hard. So um, I was really surprised by that. I thought that was really unfair. I mean, if you don't like Moncada, fine, but to call him soft because of that, I thought that was really unfair. As for Ronaldo Lopez, who I believe has a bright future, uh, some some tough moments yesterday. He went in the dugout after the game and started punching the wall. And uh, you, you don't want to change the way a guy is. You don't want to take away his, his, um, his enthusiasm for the good moments and his hatred of the bad moments. You don't want to change that. That's who he is. I hear this with John Rahm all the time. Yeah, he, can't, he can't win a golf tournament because he gets too angry. Hey, you are what you are. You get angry, you get over it, you move on. But you can't be punching walls. Don't punch walls. Emotional day for him. Didn't he have a baby girl the night before? The night before. And then he went out and pitched. I think that's pretty impressive. Ever tell you the story, Eli, of uh, the night my first, or the day my first daughter was born? Uh, we, w- we were having a scheduled C-section at noon. And uh, I, can, I can tell this story because my wife doesn't listen to the radio. And why, why would she? Why would she? Right? Why would you listen to this nonsense? Tell the story about your honeymoon, too. That's a very long story. I cannot tell that story today. But I, so I, I, had a, I had a game that night. So I, unbeknownst to my wife, I threw my hockey equipment in the back of the car. Okay, just, you know, just, just in case, right? At a 9 o'clock game. So I threw my stuff in the back of the car. Uh, we have a scheduled C at noon. That happens. Everything goes well. Everyone's healthy. Everyone's happy. Everything's great. Um, I didn't know how the day was going to play out, but at about 730, uh, my wife says, uh, "I'm that's it. I'm done. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. You have to leave. You have to go home. And obviously, my daughter's in the nursery. I can't, can't do anything. I can't take her home. So I was like, all right, well, then uh, I guess I'll just leave. <laughs> she threw me out. So I went and played hockey, and I was terrible. I was absolutely horrible. I mean, I had nothing. I was so tired. I was so spent. 
I was brutal, but with about 30 seconds left, Rick Paoletti on a two-on-one drew the defenseman to him, pulled the goalie out, and and just put one right in front of the net. It was a two-foot putt. I did not miss it, so I scored on the day my, my first daughter was born. It's something I, I And it's something that I really wanted that night, but I was completely incapable of doing anything myself. So uh, I don't know if Rick is listening, but uh, thank you, Ricky. I still remember that. Ronaldo Lopez goes out and throws and actually threw really well. A couple mistakes, but threw really well. But don't punch walls. Don't punch walls. Bad idea. Not good for you. I don't know what in the world is going on here. That's not unusual on this show. Uh, I want to get to something Frank Thomas said. Maybe we'll do that in, uh, in the next half hour after we talk to Bruce Levine. This is what Joe Madden said yesterday. This was in uh, Mark Gonzalez's piece this morning. He had his uh, second of three team meetings that he does every year. They're pretty much scheduled. And he had that yesterday. And he said, quote, the big thing was to emphasize the heartbeat over analytics. Just play good baseball and not worry about the numer- what the numerical world is saying. Baseball is going to trend back to the good old-fashioned baseball player. You're seeing it in our group right now. And over the next couple of years, that's going to become more prominent. He pointed to Javi Baez. Analytically, everyone likes walks, Madden said. But if anyone is still able to drive in 60-something runs, hit near 300, have almost 20 homers, steal bases, steal from first on wild pitches, and make plays nobody's seen before, I think the analytical types can accept that too. Joe continues to push back hard, and I admire him for it because in this game today, if you push back on the group think, you're going to get your brains beat in. You're absolutely going to get your brains beat in. And again, I love metrics. I mean, I think we've learned so much about the game that we didn't know before. And the numbers can teach us things. But it doesn't teach us everything. And some of them don't help the game. And some things that are occurring in the game are not necessarily good for the game. There's also a, an amazing piece on SI.com. Eli will tweet it out. He'll find it and tweet it out. There's an amazing piece. It's an excerpt from a book coming up on the Houston Astros. And it explains the decision to bring in Carlos Beltran. And I read it last night at about 2 in the morning, and I could not stop reading it. It was incredible. These are, the, these are the most analytically sophisticated people in the world when it comes to baseball. And they brought in Carlos Beltran because they believed that he knew something about chemistry and being a good teammate. And the things that he could change in the clubhouse that could bring such value more than any other player that they could find in the game and believe that that clubhouse needed that. And this particular chapter of the book is entirely about that. And it's, it's incredible. And much like Theo Epstein will tell you you're a fool if you don't believe in things like momentum or teams that get hot or teams that quit or chemistry or being a good teammate. If you don't believe in those things, Theo Epstein, one of the great analytical minds of all time, thinks you're nuts. And this particular chapter of this book is really interesting from that that standpoint. There's got to be a balance. The numbers are great. They're important. But there's got to be a balance. There has to be a balance. These are humans that are playing this game, 
And it's not always as easy as it appears to be. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Barry Rosner here solo with you until noon. Right now, it's time to go out to the Score Hotline. We do not have your music, Bruce. I'm really disappointed. But we're joined okay. We're joined right, by Barry. Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine. You hear him every Saturday morning on Inside the Clubhouse. You can follow him on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. Just play it any time, Eli, while I'm talking to Bruce. I'll it's, sing it's, it. I'll sing it, Barry. Glory days. All right, good. We're done. That works. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Um, there it is. Nice. Doesn't that just feel better, Bruce? It does. It gives me the baseball, the warm and fuzzy of baseball every Sunday on Hit and Run. There you go. Um, tell me what it fe- speaking of warm and fuzzy, tell me what it feels like this weekend having the 1993 White Sox around. Well, it was, uh, you know, it was a, a team of, full of outstanding players. Uh, it's a team that probably should have won a, uh, a, a um, pennant at least once or twice a World Series once or twice because they were that loaded in 1993 and, and maybe a much better team in 94 with yeah. an even stronger bullpen. Um, you know, the Toronto Blue Jays were got in their way, uh, you know, a, a, a short-term dynasty for sure in Toronto. But nonetheless, it doesn't take away from the fact that back then when there was no wild card, no layers of division play, uh, they won their division. Uh, they played Toronto and that team went to the World Series. So it was a, a, a different day, you know, 25 years ago in baseball. And it was a loaded team with a Cy Young Award winner, an MVP, a manager of the year, uh, all in the, the same context. You had weird personalities like George Bell. You had, uh, you know, historically uh, interesting, iconic players like Bo Jackson. Uh, you had uh, Ozzie Guillen, Joey Cora, small ball with, Walt Riniak is the coach. He had Frank Thomas and Robin Ventura with a high finish on the Riniak uh, hitting instructions. That was always a topic of conversation in baseball at that time. Um, it was it was a very interesting team full of very good players to cover. Yeah, I, I have to say, uh, speaking of warming the heart, it it's nice to see Ozzie Guillen back there, and it's nice to see him laughing and having fun and everyone getting along. That was an ugly ugly divorce and it was all precipitated by Ozzy. I mean he brought all that on himself. He could have he could have worked there for the rest of his life. But it seems like everyone has moved on from that and he seems to be genuinely having a good time around that team. Do you think at at some point there could be some sort of role? He's not going he's never going to manage that team again, but could there be some sort of role in the organization for him? I guess. I mean, uh, you know, Ozzy's an outstanding baseball man. Uh, anybody that says he's not uh, has not paid attention to the texture of his career, his knowledge. Uh, as a manager uh, coming in, he, he didn't get outmanaged by anybody, handled the bullpen beautifully. Ozzie could look in the stands and see 15, 20 people uh, that he knew and keep track of that at the same time, handling a game beautifully. So uh, Ozzie Gein is a wonderful baseball guy that got caught up, uh, you know, in uh, leaving here, going to Miami, you know, making a, a couple of mistakes along the way, but uh, his career should have never ended like that. He He's a tremendously valuable baseball guy that could help numerous organizations, and people are just missing the boat. I don't know if it's ever going to be with the White Sox, but um, 
you know, being welcome back here, doing TV around the games. Uh, you know, he loves the Chicago White Sox. And, and if, if, if you were here yesterday, the biggest hand for anybody this side of Frank Thomas was Ozzie Guillen, you wow. know, who brought a world championship here as a manager. So a lot of people look at Ozzie in the wrong way because he talked a lot. He probably talked too much to people that he didn't know, and, and they took advantage of him yeah. uh, in quotes. But uh, there is no mistake, this is one outstanding baseball guy that should have an important job in baseball. Danny Duffy has uh, a contract this year worth $14 million, so a little less than seven left. 15 next year, 15 and 20, and 15 and 21, which is cheap by today's starting pitching standards. What did yesterday and what has his last 10 starts do you think meant to his value on the market, and are the Royals willing to move him? Oh, they're willing to move him. Uh, the question is what, what you feel you need to get back, how much money uh, you want to dump in this situation. Uh, he's pitching very – the difference in Duffy now, he's healthy, and he's pitching more with his fastball. Uh, they were taking advantage – he's a very good breaking ball pitcher, but he was throwing it – He's throwing the, uh, the curveball, you know, 45, 47% of the time. He's now back to establishing his fastball more. That's been the difference in his starts here. Uh, and, and he's got a good fastball, and he's had really good command of him. That's, that's been the difference. I think he's had maybe one or one bad start in the last six or seven. So uh, this is a guy that can help somebody uh, win. You know, if you project in the last two months of the season, uh, you know, that the guy gets, uh, you know, eight or nine you know, starts, that could be a difference maker for somebody here. So a bigger market team that wants to take a shot on him, because look, uh, you tell me starting pitching wise, who's available and who you're going to be guaranteed on getting uh, outstanding stuff and shutout type stuff like Duffy has, if you go out there and acquire him, uh, there, there's, there's nobody this side of, you know, Syndergaard and DeGrom who are likely not to get traded that uh, it stands out. You can go up and down that list, and you see nothing but guys that used to be one and two starters that are fours and fives now, and, and guys who are uh, fours and fives, period. That's what you got out there. You know, you, you, have, um, you have guys like Matt Harvey. You have guys like Shields, uh, guys that were dominant pitchers that aren't any longer that are still great competitors, but they're fours and fives. So uh, if you're going to tell your general, if you're a top scout, you're going to tell your general manager, this is a guy that's going to make a difference, uh, they, they probably won't. But a guy like Duffy, if you believe in what you're seeing right now and that he's going to stay healthy, which is a big if, uh, that's the type of guy that can be a difference maker. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by Lakeside Bank. Banking is pretty much one size, must fit all. If you don't fit, you don't matter. At Lakeside Bank, people do matter. So they customize, tailoring their products and services to fit you. Join Lakeside Bank. It's about time. He scored baseball insider Bruce Levine visiting right now with us on Hit and Run. Bruce, did you tell Ronaldo Lopez after the game to not punch walls anymore? Because that, that could be bad for you. Yeah, it's not, not good. If you're going to do it, you do it with someone else's hand, right? Yeah. Not, not, not yours. Have, have a designated puncher uh, for you. Or make sure you yeah. do it with your left hand if you're a yeah, right-handed pitcher. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's, just, it's, not, it's not good form. But, you know, uh, the Royals, I went into the Royals clubhouse after the game to talk to Duffy, and uh, they were all extremely complimentary of Lopez, very, very impressed with the guy. And from the scouts I talked to, most of them think that this is 
the most progressed pitcher, uh, young pitcher that the White Sox have in their organization. And that, you know, they're not saying he's going to be a number one, but I, I think the people that watch him think that this this guy's going to be an innings guy, that he might be, you know, one of, you know, you're a, t- a guy that's a three, you know, maybe a, a projected 15 and 12 guy with a, a 380 ERA type guy. They, they, they think he's going to be a really solid pitcher for him. I, I have a tendency to agree. I've been impressed with a lot of his outings here. Some of them have gotten away from him, but uh, if I was going to project any of the guys, you know, Giolito's, you know, the sexiest guy that you, you see out there, but I think uh, Lopez is the guy that you can be more confident saying that this might be the type of career he has. What is Charlie Tilson? I don't know, Barry. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure he's a, a, a good outfielder or the year and a half that uh, he was away. He's still trying to get all his tools back because he's he's a pretty good prospect uh, with the Cardinals. And, yeah. and the, the White Sox thought they were getting something really good with him. And then he had the unfortunate situation where he missed a year and a half with these uh, leg and knee uh, injuries. Um, can still run. Uh, defensively, he's been a you know it's been a kind of a you know a mystery out there sometimes for Charlie. But I, maybe you attribute that to Russ from missing so much time. Uh, I, I don't know if he's a leadoff man slash you know uh, top of the order guy that you can project, or he's a fourth or fifth outfielder. I don't think that's played out yet. Did you see the Matheny thing coming? I mean, certainly there was yeah, uh, th- there were a lot of buzzards circling uh, circling the yeah. ballpark. Um, but I'm I have to say, I, I thought it could happen this year, but I didn't know it would happen this quickly. You know what, Barry? It comes back to that old adage, you can't fire the player with a five-year contract. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, okay, we were hearing the communication was bad between Fowler and Matheny. Uh, the team wasn't playing. I, I think the team's actually playing up to its ability. They have very outstanding starting pitching. Bullpen is okay. And they don't have much offense. That, that's a that's a team that, you know, if they're going to add something, they still need to add two offensive players. The failure of Fowler to be Fowler to be the offensive player that they thought he was going to be has prevented them from uh, probably being the team that they want to be the last. Yeah, but yeah, whose fa- whose fault is that? We knew we knew that's where that theirs. we all knew where yeah. that was going. Yeah, it's Mosaliac. That's on his that's on his play. I mean, we you knew know, what, he, we knew what Fowler was when the Cardinals signed him. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, keeping uh, Dexter in the one-year contract and telling him every day what a great player he is with Joe and Davey Martinez, you know, blowing smoke his way and telling him. And he was. He was a a tremendously important player for the Cubs. But it was a player that uh, every day was getting this positive reinforcement and uh, this feeling of love just to get him out there. And if you look at his career, Barry, uh, you know, outside of his Chicago time, he didn't play a lot of games. He was – a guy that averaged maybe 120 games a season, you know, during his career, uh, an indifferent defensive player to say the most for him, but yet an on-base percentage machine that everybody wanted to have because of the fact that, uh, you know, he walked, he saw a lot of pitches. He was a tremendous advantage for the rest of the lineup after his first at bat, seeing somewhere between seven and 10 pitches, whether he made an out or not, everybody else in that lineup felt that they saw what the pitcher had that day and uh, it, it created a, an, an awful lot of energy for the Cubs. Uh, I would never diminish what he did and helped the Cubs win a championship. He'll always be remembered as a as a winner here and a guy that helped them win, and rightfully so. But if you look at the 
the totality of his career, it, it, you know, he's a marginal player. And, uh, and now at age 32 or 33, he's, uh, he doesn't have the speed he had anymore. He can't steal bases, not an impact player there, probably not a center fielder anymore. So what they've gotten down to being is, uh, you know, guy that occasionally hits a ball out of the park from the left or right side. Not the player's fault, as you point out, Barry. You know, he didn't sign himself to that contract. Exactly. The Cardinals and John Mosaic did. But John wasn't going to fire himself over this. So it's, it's Matheny's turn to walk the plank. Cubs have uh, played some really good baseball over the last couple of weeks in spite of their starting rotation. And in the meantime, the Brewers are just, they are limping into the break. They've lost five straight, four of those to the Pirates, including two yesterday, one to the Marlins. They are uh, they are in a bad way right now. Really need to get to the break. Maybe get some rest. Maybe get some help. What kind of help do they need? And what do you think they'll get? Bullpen, bullpen, bullpen. I think uh, they'd love to get a starting pitcher. I don't think that you know. I I don't know if they're going to get a top of the line one. But to me, you know, the guy in Baltimore, Zach Britton, who's starting to pitch like Zach Britton again. That's the guy I think that they're on, and I think that's the guy that they'd like to make a deal with. Oh, my. It's an, that, that would really shorten the game. That would. I mean, and, and again, just recently, you know, the reports are velocity is back. That means 95, 96. Sink on the fastball, back. I saw you him know, yesterday. He looked really good. Yeah, command of the pitches, back. Uh, and he's a free agent. So this is a deal. Now, don't get me, don't get me wrong. There's six or seven other teams out there that would love to have Britain and we'll be talking to Dan Duquette, but uh, the Cubs tried to get Britain last year. If you remember at the exact same time, the deal was not consummated. They turned to Detroit and they got Wilson instead uh, at that point. But this is a, this is a valuable guy and, and they need this badly because you need him uh, at, at the least as a huge setup man from the left side. If he stays healthy, more importantly, because of uh, the way that Morrow's back has acted up, you need a you need a guy with big time experience back there to back up the closer role, so they can they can end this deal and and then end up winning this division. It's been the best one of the best bullpens in in baseball, but there's wear and tear and attrition involved. To look at uh, the second half like the first half and ignore the fact that a lot of those guys have been used uh, to a point where they might get tired. Uh, you have to solidify that pen. And Epstein and Hoyer, tremendously smart enough and experienced enough to go out and, and get that job done. So I think more than a starting pitcher, I think they, they have to go after uh, more bullpen help, and I, I think they will. All right, Bruce, before I let you go, I have to ask you uh, my weekly question about Tyler Chatwood. I will do this every week as long as Tyler Chatwood is a member of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, what are you seeing, and is there hope that uh, he can turn this around? He only walked three, right, in five innings last time out? Yeah. Uh, that's good. The, the, the bad part is that he's pitching more to contact, and uh, the ERA is starting to climb. So um, I think they have to have him pitch more to contact, but the contact has been uh, OPS-driven lately, not by the walk, but by slugging percentage. They've been hitting home runs and doubles. Uh, he's got to get comfortable throwing his stuff in the zone so he doesn't walk people. But, you know, you see the guys shy away when they start to get hit. He was hard. He was really hard to, to hit because it was hard for him to throw a ball continuously in the strike zone. Um, now he's getting hit more, which, which 
Chet, what do you prefer, Barry? Uh, do is that something I have to choose? Yeah, yeah, you have to answer. We're out of time, Bruce, so I'm going to have to <laughs> let you go. And uh, I, I don't honestly expect you to ever answer that question, but I'm going to ask you every week anyway because it's just sheer entertainment. It, it, it is, and um, you know the the idea that um, he's trying to live up to a contract um, that is weighing heavy on him. It's pretty obvious, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Bruce, thanks yeah. for your time. Really appreciate it. Look forward to talking to you next week. Very always a pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Bruce Levine, Score Baseball Insider. You hear him every Saturday morning on Inside the Clubhouse. You can follow him on at on Twitter, at MLB Bruce Levine. You hear him every Sunday on Hit and Run. When we come back, I want to get to something that Frank Thomas said this weekend and uh, top of the hour, Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com to talk rumors from around the game. We'll do that next on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Barry Rosner with you for another hour and nine minutes here. Eight minutes. Eight minutes? No, I won't do that. A little more than an hour here on Hit and Run on the Score. Coming up top of the hour, Anthony Castrovince from MLB.com will join us. Kevin Kernan at 11.30 on the Mets and the Yankees, the NL East, the AL East, trade rumors from out there which uh, will certainly affect the Cubs as they move forward. This is Frank Thomas this weekend, and this kind of reminds me of Frank Robinson, who hit 586 home runs, and at one point in around 2002, 2003, said something along the lines of, I'm getting passed on the home run list by guys I've never heard of. (laughs) That That was absolutely an assault on Sammy Sosa. Uh, he also said, quote, you don't get better as you get older, which was, uh, well, you could point to many guys who are on steroids. This is Frank Thomas, who was in town for the 93 reunion and was talking about steroids. He said, I was the most hurt in that era. My career was stepped on. I had an incredible career, and some of the guys on steroids passed me up in one year to dominate for seven straight years like I did and then overnight Go back to 15th in home runs. It's alarming. Um, he's not a fan of Bonds, not a fan of not a fan of Clemens, not a fan of any of the steroids guys. He said that they shouldn't creep up, meaning in the vote totals. Trust me, I talked to a lot of Hall of Famers about it, and they're not happy. A lot of these guys didn't make much money, and all they have is their legacy. Trust me, they're not happy about it. We've talked about it. Yeah, this conversation takes place at the Hall of Fame every year. There's a lot of Hall of Famers, I would say, probably to a man, believe the same thing, that they don't want those guys in. I offer you this. Andre Dawson was a first ballot Hall of Famer by all accounts. I was a beat guy then, and as you traveled around the game and you sampled the writers, in every city that you went to, they all said the same thing. Oh, absolutely, first ballot Hall of Famer. So what happened between September of 96 when he retired and December of 2001 that caused him to get only 45% of the vote in January 2002? As Dawson has said many times, steroids, plain and simple, steroids. Here's some numbers for you. When Dawson retired after the 96 season, he was 23rd on the all-time home run list with 438. At the time, 400 was automatic 
Hall of Fame. A few exceptions to that. Dave Kingman and I believe two other guys. But 438, absolutely a lock. Considering he also had 300 stolen bases, eight gold gloves, he was a great all-around player. I don't need to tell you who Andre Dawson was. But every player on the list ahead of him, except for Dave Kingman, was in the Hall of Fame or would be in short order. Here's what happened in the 16 years it took for him to finally get in, from his retirement to getting in. It took 127 years of baseball for 22 men to hit 438 home runs. 127 years for 22 men to hit 438 home runs. In the next 16 years, 16 men passed Dawson on the home run list. Or an increase of 70% in the time elapsed was 11%. Time elapsed in baseball history, 11%. Passed by 70%, an increase of 70%. In extra base hits, he dropped from 18th to 26th. The number of players ahead of him increasing by 44%. In total bases, the number ahead of him by 29%. Again, an 11% time elapsed in baseball history. In RBI, passed by 50%. 50% in 11% of baseball history. And in hits by nearly 30%. So I understand why Frank is upset. I particularly, I particularly feel for a guy like Dawson who gave everything he could to the game and was swallowed up by the numbers and uh, nearly forgotten. He's in now, so he's okay, but uh, I don't blame the guys who are bitter about it. Coming up next on Hit and Run, Anthony Castrovince as we talk national baseball rumors, the Cubs, how it affects the National League race. And if it means anything to the White Sox at all, we'll do that next here on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.